Hello and welcome again to another episode of Mormon Matters Podcast, your thoughtful yet provocative weekly romp through all things Mormon, including current events, popular culture, politics, etc., etc. I'm your host, John DeLynn. It's very uh, good to be with you all today, and I have with me in the virtual studio Mr. John Hamer, who is the executive director of the John Whitmer Historical Association. John is a cultural Mormon and an independent researcher, historian, and map maker. He's currently completed his co-editing of a book entitled Scattering of the Saints, Schisms Within Mormonism, due very soon. John, you made it. Just made it. Oh, my goodness. I am so happy that uh, that got done yesterday. So. So is it done done or almost done? It is all the way, uh, I did all of my editing, and it's all the way into uh, typesetting and galleys and everything like that, so now it's to the final final copy editor, and the authors are getting their last peek at it, and then next, next week it's going to press. And tell our, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about this book. Sure, yeah. It's, um, it's, got 50, it's a book of articles, but they're all original articles, so it's not like we're reprinting previous ones. And they are about all of the different branches of the Latter-day Saint movement. So in addition to I – mean, everybody's, of course, familiar with, with the Brighamite branch, which includes the LDS Church and fundamentalist Mormonism. But there's also all of the other branches, the uh, Community of Christ you know about, uh, the other Josephite branches that are, have kind of uh, separated from communion from the Community of Christ, the um, – they used to be the RLDS Church, the Hedrickites, the Cutlerites, the Bickertonites, the Strangites, all of those kind of people. And so we have um, all of the different histories of all of the extant movements and then, and then also um, some of the ones that are extinct, like the Whitmerites. Wow. So it's very exciting. It's all new stuff, and, and some of it is, is very pioneering. There's some stuff on, on, uh, that just got, got in there on, on Williamite. Mormonism that I'm, I just thought was just it's so much fun and so interesting. So I, for me, it's endlessly interesting this topic. So, all right, and who's the publisher again? John Whitmer Books. Okay, well, congratulations, and we look forward to uh, seeing it at an Amazon near you, huh? Hopefully, in a month. <laughs> all right. Well, in addition to uh, John Hammer, we have Ann Porter, who is a software developer and a married mother of three. She is a convert of over 20 years. She writes for the Mormon-themed blog, theculturalhall.com, and is also guest blogging. Are you still guest blogging, Anne? Yes, I am. I seem to have made my way into the inner circle there. Wow. At various stages. As a matter of fact, I'm a recruiter. If anybody would like to, uh, to uh, guest blog... For a couple of months, pick a day, email me at, um, well, you can probably just, I don't know, post a comment over there if you want a guest blog on my most recent post, whichever one that is. Okay. Where this week's, this it's uh, http colon slash slash vsom.wordpress.com. This, uh, this week's theme was our Mormons uh, to trusting. Ooh. And... We've had some. We've had. We've only had three posts up instead of the seven that we like to have every week. But it's been. Uh, they've been really interesting. Well, fun. One's about, but mine was on. Uh, mine was on a uh, a con that went on in my hometown back in the late nineties. 
among some Mormons. And uh, Chris Chris Rush is our newest guest blogger. He'll be blog- blogging on Saturdays for at least the next couple of months. And he's uh, he wrote a, a, a post with a great title, Mormons in the Meth Lab. Oh, so that was it. Was it was a great title. I know Chris. Chris is a Chris is a a BYU student getting his master's, right? Yes, he is. I know Chris. He's a good guy. He is a good guy. We're excited to have him blogging with us. Well, welcome again to our show, Anne. It's good to be here again, John. And um, and we are very excited to have a special uh, guest with us today. His name is Eric Soderland. Eric is an attorney residing in the Dallas area. He's an LDS convert of 18 years who joined the LDS Church after studying 19th century history, which is uh, a bit perilous and dangerous, but he made it through relatively unscathed, at least for a while. He has a BA in history from UT Austin, or TU as they say in College Station. <laughs> you didn't expect that, did you, Eric? <laughs> hoping not to hear that. Uh, Eric has an MA in this is Texas speak for those of you who don't know. Um, Eric has an MA in history from the College of Charleston and the Citadel, and he is known as dun dun dum equality on the Mormon online community. Eric, welcome to Mormon Matters. Thank you very much, John. I'm uh, very thrilled to be here, actually. And uh, you know, a few weeks ago, you had put out on Mormon Matters blog that you were looking for conservative uh, participants for the Mormon Matters panel, and I, I posted a comment said that I was willing to fill that role. Um, but I didn't think you were seriously going to put me on. Well, you know, we're feeling we're feeling dangerous tonight. We're feeling. So I, so I appreciate I'm, I'm, it. I'm the conservative tonight. So John's the conservative. <laughs> I'm the conservative. So John Hamer's the conservative. That's wonderful. All right, Ann, we're going to have our work cut out for us. Um, Deseret Book is coming, has just come out with a brand new series of books sort of attempting to, quote, set the record straight. It's actually called the Setting the Record Straight series. And just over the past week or two, we've seen five setting the record straight on Mormons and Masons, Mormons and polygamy, Blacks and the Mormon Priesthood, Joseph Smith, the Mormon Prophet, and the Book of Mormon. And um, this is something that we've been hoping to see for quite a long time, which is the church step up and um, start addressing these issues publicly. And these are books. Do we do we know who the publisher is of these books, guys? Anyone know? I'm, I'm on the Desert, Desert Book website. It looks. I mean, and they're right here. Um, are, are we thinking Desert Book is the actual publisher? It's definitely being sold at yes. Desert Book. My guess is they use a different publisher, but I won't be able to confirm that for just a bit. But anyway, um, I, I guess I've read the news. I, I've read a few reviews on these books. I know that um, Jeffrey Needle, who's um, a very millennial, well, millennial PR, millennial PR, so it's got a little bit of arm's length distance. Um, but it's got Susan Eastman Black, who is a BYU professor of, of church history. It's got. Uh, Marcus Helvecchio Martins, who's the son of the first black general authority, right? Ever, anyone with me on that? True? It, it, I recognize the name Helvecchio Martins. Yeah, it's his so. son. It's his son, okay. who I think is a, is a BYU-Idaho. So this is sort of definitely, it seems like, approved by the church and supported. 
Anyway, um, I, I can say that I've read a few reviews on these books. One was by a man named Jeffrey Needle, who's a world-famous uh, Mormon um, book reviewer who's actually not LDS, uh, but he reviews Mormon books. He felt like at least the Joseph Smith book was a little bit more, oh, I'd say um, celebratory of Joseph Smith's goodness than it was in any way setting the record straight on any of the tough stuff. But did you guys have any additional thoughts or perspectives you want to add to this sort of interesting development? I, I just wanted to, I, I just think it's it's a really interesting development. Just the idea of the development is it just that it, that this has happened just so close on the heels of the all the things that we've been speaking about over the course of the last couple of weeks. And uh, uh, I want to just, for my perspective, I want to send out a hat tip to who brought this to my attention was a post by the commenter, Naismith. Who is a who comments around on various blogs? Doesn't have a blog of her own, um, but she 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 drew my attention to this over on our mormonmatters.org website, and that's where I looked into it. I just think it's really interesting, and I'm looking forward to hearing some reviews, reading some reviews, and maybe talking to some people who have read the books. Although. I probably am not going to be reading them myself. I should I should throw in, and John, maybe you were going to talk about this. Were you going to talk about the Amazon reviews that are up there right now? Well, I have the uh, I have the ones for Mormons and Masons open. Yeah. So on that one, there's been seven reviews. There's one person who's, um, you know, definitely pro church who has given it five stars, and everybody else has either given it you know, zero or one star. Oh. And so the titles of these are false, far short of setting the record straight, uh, distorted, inaccurate, not worth your money, not worth the money, not worth your time. I mean, so the, <laughs> so, so the, the titles of these reviews are, aren't great, but on, on, but on a, what, one thing you can say about Amazon reviews about Mormon history is that for the most part, you really get, one star or you get five stars i mean there's it's it, it's so many so often you know there's a whole bunch it's a very polemic community you know who are reviewing on amazon for for mormon studies so yeah well this will be the interesting publisher, go ahead Anne. the publisher is listed as millennial pr yeah 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 interesting well any other final thoughts on the, I, it's I, I we would love to encourage our uh, listeners to um Find out a way to check these books out. I, I don't think any of us here will be checking them out necessarily, although I will. Well, I'm going to grab a couple. Of them okay, here. but so, if, if any of you guys want to give us, Don. yeah, if any of you guys want to give us feedback or let us know what you think, we'd love to get your perspective. Any final thoughts on this development? No, no? just I'm looking forward to hearing what John Hamer has to say about it. That'll be great, John. All right, John, yeah. we're going to expect a you book do, you review can, from you. Soon. You get to do the heavy lifting, man. Okay, very good. <laughs> All right, the, the last development we thought we'd mention um, is um, something that Anne brought to our attention. Anne, why don't you fill us in? The um, September this Dawn. Really, this is another September Dawn thing. I'm kind of September Dawn obsessed, which is kind of interesting since I haven't seen the movie and don't really plan on seeing the movie. But there's uh, a apparently the, 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 the writer of the movie, um, and I'm just getting to the website here with that information carol huang shooter um or shutter is the co-writer of the movie and she 
is asserting in an interview, this is in an interview and by, with a film critic, that the, um, that the, the reviews are so, have been so poor for the movie because of a conspiracy against the movie by the Latter-day Saint, by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that it's a smear campaign and that people who like the movie and believe that it's truthful and forthright and a good film need to fight back. Um, there's a, an article in a front page magazine with a column called September Dawn, criticism or sabotage. And um, one of the bits of evidence for, for, this, uh, for this theory um, is, is that the, uh, the, 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 the repeated use of the adjective ham-fisted to describe the film. And um, I, I just, John, you had some ideas about this. John Hamer, you had some ideas about this that we were discussing earlier that I, I wish you would share because they were, they were just really, I think, spot on. So let me just get this straight. So people are claiming that some conservative right-wing conspiracy has put together some talking points and that all the prominent film critics who have trashed this movie who've used the term ham-fisted got it from some type of talking points. Is that right, Anne? And then we'll let John... Yes, and it's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy, not necessarily a right-wing, but a Latter-day, an LDS conspiracy right, I was, designed I... to silence the film. And, and of course, it, it, what's particularly amusing to me about this is the... Is the that the term ham-fisted was used in a variety of publications, and I'm, you know, I just surely don't see the village voice in the in the back pocket of of the Mormons. Right. I mean, the village voice. It's yeah, like so. They, they use they that term. They use that term. Yes, they. Yes, they did. Okay. The, um, all the ham-fisted uh, <laughs> lyricism of pharmaceutical ads or something like that. It was. <laughs> It was really a snotty review, and I. And but with was, good reason, was, though, that they gave it a snotty review. I mean, we're gonna have to look back to Mormon Matters episode three or four, or whenever it was, and see if I said ham-fisted. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I mean, I certainly. I mean, when I saw this this movie on the, on the sneak preview, you know, several months ago, uh, and we and we did a little episode about it, you know, as a, an advanced kind of look at it. And I mean, I, I ham-fisted describes this thing. I mean, in terms of the the way the drama works it's as a movie i mean hollywood normally gets history wrong that's not any big surprise i wouldn't say that the history on this thing is any more wrong than a normal hollywood movie which is terrible you know which you know like braveheart or gladiator or any of these crusade that crusader movie whatever all those movies are terrible for their history this isn't any worse it's probably you know just as good or a little better in on it on its historical details but it but as a movie you know it is horrible it was i mean the it was just a horrible movie so so eric have you seen it no i haven't seen it i i trust john hamer's review of it and and the tomato meter and it, it does sound like it's something that it's just not worth seeing. So, John, I, I'd rather spend my money on on super bad. <laughs> John, I I have I have a theory. I have another conspiracy theory. I think you're a plant by the church, and I think <laughs> you I think you wrote the memo. 
Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's. I mean, I was the one who wrote the talking points. You know, you, you go back to Mormon <laughs> Matters episode four or whatever, and when I said ham fisted, you know, <laughs> we've out, we've added you. We, we've added yeah. you as the plant, the church's plant to so, uh, I mean, destroy I that the movie. Unfortunate, the unfortunate thing, though, about this movie is that this is a a very serious, you know, historical topic. This is an, a serious um, event in our history. And unfortunately, I think it br- the, having a, a, a ham-fisted movie brings the worst out in all of the aspects of the of the polarized Mormon community, where there is a lot of. I mean, I just kind of ant- having walked out of this thing, I was kind of conflicted in a way because I'm like, I, I am imagining, and, I, and this is what ended up happening, going to um, uh, going to you know some of the some of the boards and seeing what ex-Mormons are posting and ex-Mormons, you know, sort of embracing the movie because they're caught up in the emotions of of being um, upset with the LDS church and so then they're they're going to rail on board a bad movie because because of that. And then what happens is is that um, uh, believing Mormons, practicing Mormons uh, end up being, you know, doing this thing where they're very self-righteous and saying, oh, this is persecution, we're being persecuted, the persecution complex, all this kind of thing, instead of, instead of, you know, again, dealing with the fact that here is an, 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 a, an event that was a terrible event, it's an atrocity, it's something that we're, we all have in our history as a collect, something of collective guilt, it's not something that we should be, on the one hand, railing so that we can put a backstab into a church, but it's also not something that we should be smug about that, oh, look at these persecutors trying to persecute us again. So anyway, that's my reaction to this. Well, the, the, the silver lining on this cloud is that probably no one will see it. I hope not. Yeah, I hope that's <laughs> the way it is. <laughs> so. All right. I'm gonna... All right. Well, that's um, that's a fun little series of news events. So thank Thanks to you all for participating. Now it's time to dig in to what I would call the meat or maybe the gristle of the show. Um, Eric, you're on primarily because you responded to an invitation to provide feedback on our recent three-part series on inoculation. I, I sense that you feel really good and supportive and excited about now that you are inoculated, you want to make sure that everyone else gets inoculated and you like uh, everything that's been said. No, I'm being sarcastic. But, Eric, tell us your thoughts. Well, actually, John, I, you know, I really was kind of excited by that series on inoculation, and uh, I've, I've spent some time blogging on it, and I know that a lot of the people that I hang around with online um, have also been interested in that topic, and I think it's a very important topic, and I'm glad that you covered it. Um, I'm glad that Sunstone covered it. I'm glad that you uh, had your panel on, and I was very pleased to hear from uh, Blake Osler and Michael Ash and, and, and their perspective on things. And, you know, before I launch into, uh, you know, my praise and criticism of that uh, specifically, I'd like to just uh, say a word of thanks to you, John, for what you're doing at Mormon Stories and at Mormon Matters and with Sunstone. Um, I think it's such a vital work that you're doing in uh, facilitating communication and fostering understanding among people of a wide variety of viewpoints and perspectives uh, who have an interest in Mormonism or somehow connected with Mormonism, either through family or um, through their own membership or past membership in the church. 
and I think it's a fantastic thing that you're doing here, and I'm really uh, glad that you invited me on so that I could be a part of that as well. Are you buttering me up so you can eviscerate me later, Eric? That's the plan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. But well. no, I, I really, I really do believe that, and 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 a lot of times, you know, one of the things I said in my review of the first uh, eleven podcast of Mormon Matters was that when <laughs> Rosalind Welch was on uh, and I listened to her, I thought she was fantastic and I really enjoyed listening to her and that was a different experience for me than what I've experienced online when I've seen her writing. Um, and I think that people probably have the same uh, reaction when they hear Blake Osler and they've only seen him write or when they uh, hear Equality come on and talk about these things. Um, it's, a, it's a different experience when you're listening to people talk about these things in this sort of a format than what you get strictly from reading their words online in a blog or in a discussion board. So um, I do think it's a good thing that you're doing. Oh, well, well, thank you. And I'm sure John and Ann have responses too, since they're part of this whole deal. People are always different when you're, when you're able to have an actual conversation with them than when you're just, you can rifle off any crazy thing you want when you're in the mood in the middle of the night on, on a chat board. And, and then if you were actually having like a face to face conversation with people i mean people are very different i have the i was a when i was a a college student at byu i was um you know the teaching assistant to um bill hamblin and and dan peterson was i illustrated a book for him and you know so i mean i knew both of those guys and you know we got along very well so so but i mean i think if you know their online presence you know that they they're known for being terrors online so yeah, and I've actually met Lou Midgley and, and uh, Dan Peterson in person, and it was a totally different experience than how I engaged them on the web. And so, yeah, face-to-face or even voice-to-voice is, is I think, a much, uh, I don't know, for me, more a constructive way to engage personally. That's my experience. No, I, I agree totally, and I think it I think it does really foster communication and, and understanding and and. and and, and it fosters good communication and civil communication. And, and, you know, I think that we can have differences of opinion on things, and I certainly do with, with Blake Osler and, and the other panelists that you had on. Um, I disagree with a whole lot of things that Osler said, um, and I disagree with the way he said some of the things he said. Um, but I still respect him, and I respect his, uh, his intelligence and, and his point of view, and I understand his point of view. And... Um, I think that uh, if I were in a position uh, to know him personally in real life, that I think we could get along great and, and, and be good friends, even though we disagree. And I, I think that's one of the important uh, in what you're doing here. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Hello? Corey. Yes. Okay, we've got Corey and Eric. This is uh, Corey Kilpat. Corey, you're joining us mid-program. <laughs> I've not heard one thing, so you have to warn me here. No, we just we just started, and so uh, Eric was was um, bl- was giving us. I was going to say blowing smoke, but Eric was uh, giving us lots Butter- of nice compliments, buttering us up to then eviscerate us. So you've just you've just come in for our listeners. This is Corey uh, Kilpack, otherwise known as Mine Elephant, um, on the Mormon Internet. So Corey, thanks for joining Mormon Matters as well. Corey Evan. How are you? So good to hear you again. Good to see you again, too. um, Yeah, John, you should know, Anne and I, we've uh, celebrated together in New Orleans. I know. We have a common bond. We're going to take you down. 
<laughs> now, Anne's, Anne's representing the conservative contingency here, so you're going to be you're on the other you're on the other you're on the other side of oh is that Hammer? I thought that was me. I'm in the, pay. I'm in the employee of the church, you know that. <laughs> All right, well, 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 Eric, you had some um, Eric, you had some initial thoughts you wanted to share, and and I guess you and Corey need to sort of tag team, and we can feel the everything else. Well, we, we can certainly do that. And, and, you know, John, I think you know, I said I took a lot of notes on those uh, two or three hours of podcasts on this subject of inoculation, and that's true. But I don't think it's really useful for me to go point by point and try to refute all the things that they said, although I, I did have fun doing that in my notes. I think it's better to sort of take a 30,000-foot uh, view of this issue and sort of look at what it is exactly that um, – we're talking about inoculating people from or, or what it is that is the problem that we're trying to address. And that was one of the things I think sort of got lost in some of the, the finer details of the conversation that went on. Um, the way I look at it is you have this, this problem in the church, and it is a real problem, and it's, it's not something that can just be dismissed as, um, you know, people who are members of the church growing up and, and not really paying attention in family home evening or something like that. Uh, who then come across information that they didn't, they were not previously aware of, and, and then suddenly decide to throw away their church membership. It's really not that simple. Um, the, the the problem that is taking place here is the church has been systematically over the last several decades um, charting a course towards a more dogmatic, literalist uh, type of religious experience, um, and. In the course of doing that, the church has had to um, put out manuals and materials and talks and, 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 and do all the things that the church does to educate its, its populace. Um, it has had to simplify the history and to, to teach history in a way and the doctrine in a way that leads to that result of having a dogmatic, literalist uh, faith. And what happens is people are brought up in that. They go to primary, they go to Sunday school, they go to seminary, they go on missions, and they never learn this nuanced approach to Scripture. They don't learn really um, this nuanced approach to prophets that, uh, that Blake was talking about in those podcasts. Um, what they learn is to follow the prophet, to be obedient, um, that the prophet will never lead you astray, that the scriptures are literally true and they say what they mean and they mean what they say. And it's, it's this sort of indoctrination that takes place. Um, and then people go to outside sources and find out that the history so is Eric, not Eric, you've, Eric, you've covered a lot of ground here. So from 30,000 views, like who wins, who loses from it? Like, what is that? What is to be gained from them doing this? What is to be gained from them changing it? Who are the winners and losers from this scenario that you describe here? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good question. I think that the church deliberately did this. I think President Hinckley uh, was a big part of this. And if you listen to some of the things that President Hinckley has said over the years, he has said that uh, when people have asked about the success of the Mormon Church in attracting converts and in growing, uh, which is something that President Hinckley has always talked about the church um, 
its great success is that it is growing, and its great challenge is that it is growing. Um, and he has always said that the reason he thinks the church has been growing is that it is an anchor uh, in troubled times, that it, it's not like these other religions that have this nuanced approach to scripture and to doctrinal issues, but that there is rock-solid um, values and teachings and um, history there um, that provides an anchor to people's <coughs> souls. Um, he said that many times. The problem with that that the church is encountering now, I think, is that while an anchor is good for a boat that is out to sea during a storm, um, if that boat uh, gets a hole in it and starts taking on water, the last thing you want is an anchor to uh, hasten the descent of the boat to the bottom of the sea. And so I think it's, it's something that the church has done deliberately um, to move toward this literalist, dogmatic approach. Um, and, and frankly, for, for a long time, I think they were willing to take the losses of people who uh, encountered the alternate voices or who went and read, you know, No Man Knows My History or who went to a Sunstone Symposium mm-hmm. or something like that. They were willing to take those losses as long as they were um, getting a lot more new converts to come on board um, and they were able to keep most of the masses happy. Um, is, I, and, and is John I, I Hamer think, still on this, by the way? I'm still on. Hi. Okay. Curious here. You know, and, and Eric, I'm not going to catch off here. I don't mean to keep doing this, but I, I think about guys like John Hammer, who you came to terms with so much of this while he was in college. I look at Anne, who's got older children than our children, and and I think about this as an anchor. And it, I really look at John Delin as well and think, you know, he gone back or he stayed in this thinks that there's good in the church, there's, there's significant risk when you put so much confidence in the church when, as your moral basis, or as Hinckley calls it, and you refer to it as an anchor, and then you find out later in life it's not what you thought it was. And I'd be interested, you know, these different phases, whether it was his parents that we figured out, John Hamer is a student, Eric and I were of similar age, our kids are about the same age. You know, what happens when all of a sudden what we believe disappears and this was the moral foundation of the decisions that we make. This was, our, in many ways, our anchor. What happens? That's the risk. If you're talking about inoculation, you're talking about subjecting someone to waking up one day, everything they believed and the reasons they do the things they do is just gone. Yeah, and you know, I, th- I think when you talk about inoculation, this is another thing, you know, one of, the, one of the problems with trying to inoculate against this problem is that the church cannot really inoculate against this problem as long as it is teaching the way it is teaching. And this is, uh, you know, probably my most fundamental disagreement with Blake and some of the other Mormon apologists out there um, who want to say that, on the one hand, they will not admit that the church is whitewashing its history or watering down its doctrine or, or um, you know, covering things up or hiding things or embarrassed about certain things. They won't admit that. Um, and yet, they will say that, you know, the church is perfectly justified in doing, in doing that. 
and you really can't have it both I mean, ways. But I, but I but I actually even I mean in the in the panel I actually brought that out to Blake right where we where we were talking about it and I said. But the problem with that is, is if you're teaching, you know, okay, if you've got this ideal, like Blake was talking about, where the people are list, are, are existing on this, the simplistic faith level, where you 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 don't have to challenge your beliefs, you can just believe in it without without actually worrying about the more complex reality that underlies the whole thing. And if you put um, manuals out there and and that are inaccurate and that are teaching to those people, you know, so that you can keep them and allow them to live in that kind of blissful, ignorant faith stage, or I don't want to say ignorant anyway, but anyway, blissful uh, faith stage, then, then unfortunately you are also putting out inaccurate stuff that people who, who then find out about, uh, you know, more realistic things that, that they then feel betrayed. And I, and I think that we actually, we we did talk about that and and I think everybody actually came out condemning, um, for example, that Brigham Young manual that that implied that he wasn't a polygamist and all those kind of things. And so I, I mean I agree with you entirely with what you're saying. I mean I think we, on the one hand we were talking about you know we were, we kept on kind of reaching back into the 19th century and say well was the was the LDS Church whitewashing its history in the 19th century? Well in the 19th century people did history a different way. The last 20, 30 years are a different matter, and that's what you're talking about now. So. Right, and, I, and I'm saying, you know, the, the, the people who are criticizing the church for the way it is presenting its information to its members are not really criticizing the histories that were written in the 19th century. Um, we're criticizing what the church is doing now and has been doing for the last 30 years and continues to do. And, and you know, it, it really comes into stark relief uh, with the example that, that Blake gave on the person who finds out about, say, the Book of Abraham. And this is one of the things that, that really set me off, was when Blake said, you know, somebody who, who uh, is you know, laboring under the impression that uh, the Book of Abraham was written by Abraham's own hand and translated by Joseph Smith from the characters that were on the papyrus, you know, of course they're going to find, they're going to feel betrayed when they find out it really wasn't that way. Well, the, the, the point, though, well, which is that why, is... Which is why I nominated him to write the manuals. I said, right. Well, that's, <laughs> you know? that, that's the issue. It's why do people think that way? It's not because they're lazy. It's not right. because they're, they're, they don't it want to it, know. It's it because the church is teaching them that. It's, in your it, triple it, combination, it says it right there. So, yeah, I mean, it it's, says, it's in the scripture. Written, on, written by Abraham's own hand upon papyrus. I mean, it's, I mean it, that hasn't been pulled out in the same way. Like you said, DNC 132, that hasn't been pulled out. It's all still there in your triple combination. So yeah, it, no wonder it's not a, enough. Right. It's yeah. not enough just to, to ch- tweak a manual here and there so that it, you, you sort of almost admit that Joseph Smith had something to do with plural marriage, which is what they've done with the new manual. Um, that's not enough. There needs to be a paradigm shift from the top on some of these fundamental issues about um, authority and, and um, you know, what is a prophet and, and what does it really mean to follow the prophet and you know, about having some latitude for people to have different ideas, um, to have a wide variety of, of ideas and opinions about the scriptures and things like that. But there just isn't that sort of latitude so Eric, um, in the church today. Eric, let, yeah. me, let me just jump in here. You're, you're speaking, when you're saying they need to do this or there needs to be this, you know, that's, that's where sometimes we end up overreaching because, you know, it's their job to, to steer the church. 
They, they, the, 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 the first presidency quorum of the twelve. And certainly, the, certainly. It's their job to know and to try and make that really hard call of how many people are we going to alienate versus how many people are we going to help by whatever decision we make. I mean, the church. No, that's is, right. That's right. It's a very difficult call to make, and it's it's becoming more and more difficult as the years go by. I think this would have been an easier call to make when when B. H. Roberts went to the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve back in the twenties or thirties, whenever that was, and said, "Here's a whole bunch of issues. What are we going to do about it?" And they made the decision at that time to to bear their testimony to B. H. Roberts and tell him to go away and and try to. Um, you know, shove as much of that stuff under the rug as possible and, and keep it going as long as possible. And it is their decision to make. All I'm saying is that all of this talk about inoculation and trying to stem the tide of, of people like me um, uh, from becoming disaffected with the church uh, by finding out not false information, not you know, anti-Mormon lies, but actual, real, true, historical, uh, accurate yeah, information. It. You know? so, so, John, this is Corey here, and you and I have talked about this some, and I've bring up, and I've talked about it also with Eric. Is I recall you having a part of your symposium where you talked about does the blogger knackle represent Mormonism, or how well does it represent Mormonism, and one of the absolute black and white commandments in the blogernacle is you cannot say a bad thing about a leader of the church. And I am banned everywhere. I'm not, I can't post anywhere anymore because I say bad things, obviously. But there's this code that you can't say something bad about the church yeah. and the leaders. Sure. And, and I kind of, I respect it. I mean, we want to say nice things about people and whatever, but obviously I say rotten things. But when you assume that these, you can't say something bad about these people, you get in this trap like Blake was representing, where you just have to accept what they do, they're the leaders, or excuse what they do, they, they're the leaders. And I think that there will be much more progress when there's enough momentum that people like this conversation and others will be about how do we influence those leaders, as you say, to make a difference in the community and change it because it does have to involve them. And I don't think that there's a lot of benefit in sitting around talking about the book of Abraham is this or that, or, you know, it should be this in the book and it's not, and people don't understand it. If ultimately you still have the leader saying it's, it is what it is. It's, it's true. It's documented. You've got Michael Otterson posting it on faith and saying how great it is. I mean, as long as it's coming from the top as pure, it doesn't matter. And there needs to be more of a movement about how to direct these guys and pressure them and in order for there to be a change. I just but think, I, I alluded to this before, but I, I firmly believe that if the church decided to follow Corey or Eric's suggestions and be upfront about its history, to be totally candid about it, to, to broadcast it from the rooftops, to apologize for the past mistakes made in, effusively and to let let gay people in and to have them get married in the temple. You know, if the church were to become what the critics ask it to become, it, it would it would it would implode. 
And so I want to I want to respond to this, and then I'm I'm going to have to get off soon. But first of all, John, in terms of your measure of success, I would bet there's more people in prison on any given Sunday than are in LDS chapels. So I don't know what your quantification is for success, just the longevity. Or it's not mine; it's numbers, theirs. It, I think theirs. I mean, like it's it's all relative. So I mean, I discount some of that. Granted, they are very successful, and I'm interested in this because I grew up in it. It matters to me. That is because it was successful and it meant something. So even though it's relative, there's some value to it. And I, I think. Really, when you talk about Corey's point of view or Eric's point of view and what we would want for the church, and I, I hope you really understand what we want or what I want. I don't want to burn down the temples and burn down the chapels, and I don't want this, this thing to go away. If I had to really pick one thing, John, it would be that people stop using the term anti-Mormon. I would start with that more than anything, and that they would understand what it really means to be angry and what that feeling is. And I, I don't want the church to like start blasting this stuff on CNN and have a big mea culpa in the next you know, October general conference, but I would hope that there's a space for the woman who is a single mother in the church or has a child that leaves the church, or a family member that leaves the church, to still be open to that family member and be welcome in the congregation without hearing from insiders, outsiders, leaders, bishops, home teachers, everyone around them, what is an anti-Mormon? Because these people aren't anti-Mormon. They just might think that something they heard at church didn't work for them. Sure. And and I think so when you, you talk about what people want and what it would take and what it would do to the church, would the church dissolve if they just stopped being rotten and calling people anti-Mormon that weren't? No, they wouldn't dissolve. It would be fine. And I think there's something in each of us, whether it's people who left the church and when they were young and had family members going back generations or someone who figured it out at the age of Blake Gosler, figured it out at the age of John Hamer. I mean, we're all different ages and levels and figuring it out. But there's something about going back to it, like the motherland, that is attractive to us all. And we don't want that to go away. I would love, John, I would love to show my kids the temple where I was married. It will never happen because I'm not willing to agree with what Hinckley says today about homosexuals and women and tattoos or whatever it is, it's not worth it to me to go along with the crap that he says and that he put out in his pamphlet a few days ago to bishops so that I can like take my kids back and show them where I got married. It's just so I don't. I think there's a big difference here in. And when you say what Corey and Eric want and what we really want, we don't want to burn the place down. We just want to, like, accept it for what it is, like it, and not be accused of being these hostile Charlie Manson types coming after the church. Yeah. And, you know, you know John, you, you, those are great words, Corey, and I second everything you said. Um, John, you, you use this argument that, that, well, the church can't change in a way, in a direction that... that 
some of its critics like like me and Corey would like to see it in, in terms of uh, being uh, giving greater equality to to women uh, and greater tolerance and acceptance of homosexuals and a host of the other issues that we all know what they are. Um, you know, that argument has been used before, John, uh, with polygamy back in the 19th century. You know, they, they were those who said if the church gets rid of polygamy, it's going to be the destruction of the hey, church. Hey there were guys, people who said... I'm, Eric, I'm going to let you keep going. I'm really sorry. i got to get off. Hey, I got, Corey, uh, thanks for... i got a famous person at my house, and I really need to go. Hey, Corey, thanks for coming, man. We, we appreciate right. having you on. All right, I'll talk to you guys later. later. I'll call later. you soon, okay? Okay. But, okay, uh, bye-bye. You know, and, and John, that, that argument was used again uh, with respect to uh, blacks in the priesthood. There were those who said in the church, well, we can't, you know, give in to social pressure to change and to, to give equality because this is, a, this is an eternal thing. Um, and, and if we give in, it's, it's going to destroy the church and people won't go along with it. It will implode. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure there were some people who, who may have left the church uh, in June of 78 over that issue. I don't know. Um, but I think that, that the main point is that change can occur. Change has occurred in the church before. Um, it's, it's going to change again. Um, and, and my original point on, on all of this about the inoculation was simply that um, it's not going to work. There's no program of inoculation that will work unless the church culture changes. Um, and that has to take place from the top. So yeah, I mean, I am sort of telling uh, the brethren what to do if, if they want to address this problem, and, and I think it is a serious problem. The church has always had issues with maintaining convert baptisms, um, keeping converts retained. That's always been a difficult issue for them. But the church has not always had a problem uh, keeping lifelong, sixth-generation Mormons who are, are raised in the church, are active in the church their whole life, go on a mission, get married in the temple, and start having a family and serving as bishops and Relief Society presidents and, and elders quorum presidents. The church has not had a big problem losing those folks. And those are the types of people that I'm interacting with online uh, and have been for the last couple of years uh, in what we term the disaffected Mormon underground. And I can tell you there are a lot of them. And there are a lot of New Order Mormons out there who are still attending and who, who, are, who have the same uh, attitudes and, and beliefs and ideas that we have who are, who are more vocal on the Internet. Um, but, yeah, the, the church is losing members, and it's losing uh, educated, professional, family, active members. And if the church doesn't want to do anything about that, I guess that's fine. Um, it, it can continue along the course that it's been on, um, believing that um, sticking with the fundamentals and the literalism and the dogmatism and the, the hierarchical you know, authoritarianism or, or respect for authority um, that it drills into its members um, is going to attract a lot more people than, than are being lost. I personally don't think that that's a good way to go. I think that the church, while it has been successful in terms of growth, um, that growth has stagnated and is slowing and, and could easily reach a tipping point where um, the real backbone of the church is, is leaving in much greater numbers than they, than they are anticipating. It's possible. It's, it's a pickle. I just I, it, it seems to me that they have to be doing the math saying, 
how, how many do we lose versus how many do we gain by the decisions we might make? And it's clear that as of late, they're deciding that they need to be more candid and more upfront. And um, so I do see them moving in this direction that, that all of us sort of, and even Blake himself said that he would love to see, uh, you know, them move towards. So I do think there's, I do think the past five years represent a great deal of progress. With the inoculation idea, um, I one area where um, I think it's really important that the areas where I think they need to they need to hit inoculation and they need to hit it hard is they need to hit it in they need to hit it in youth Sunday school and they need to hit it with converts and 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 they need to hit it hard there. They need to talk about difficult issues because if because they're using they're losing young people left right and center and i don't know like you said john hamer a sunday school class where they talk about adam god or where they or what they what you know what what is this thing and where did it come from or talk about polygamy and polyandry and you know the destruction of the expositor and that kind of thing those would be interesting classes mm-hmm. and i mean talk about a way to get kids excited about coming to church on sunday and I think they need to hit it hard there because it, that's who they're losing. I think that's it would, I think it would wreck the church. That's just my opinion. I think talking openly about that stuff is a recipe for the demise of the church. Well, that, wow. it, it would it would have to change the church, John. I don't think it would wreck the church. But the, the problem is that if you do those things that Ann is talking about and and that. Blake was talking about that. All the panelists were talking about um, the the type of information that is currently withheld. And this just proves, I think, the point that, that is made by the critics that the church does, in fact, uh, withhold information because we're talking about how the church should change and inoculate people by giving them information that, that heretofore the church has not been giving people. Um, um, and, but if you do that, it's going that, that in, the problem is the information itself, the facts themselves, are, are counter to what the church teaches in its simplified version of, of events and doctrines. Um, and that's why I say the church actually has to change institutionally before any sort of inoculation will work, because as the church stands now, it can go down this road that it's been on, but, but it has to t- in, in order to do that, it has to take the, the Boyd K. Packer approach, which is the faith-promoting history, the you know the hard line on anybody who's going to bring this information to people, uh, and and what Packer's view of inoc- inoculation is is to um, is sort of to quarantine church members and prevent them from being infected by the disease germs of you know real Mormon history, um, and that's a different thing than what we're talking about. But that but his approach is the only one that's rational for to maintain what the church has been doing. Um, and if you want to get a whole bunch of people who understand the issues that are in the church, um, then you're going to have to change the church institutionally in order to do that, because otherwise it will do just what you say, John. It will have a huge impact on people. When people individually find this stuff out, it has a huge impact on their lives, and we see that. Uh, you went through that. I've gone through that. Anne's gone through that. Um, and, and what you're doing, John, I think, is you're saying, wow, if, if we as the individuals, the, the small minority of people who 
who sort of venture forth out of you know, the church-approved materials and start looking at all this stuff and have this experience, if we bring that into the classroom, if we bring that into the church and do it on a church-wide basis, it's going to cause a lot of problems. I think it is. I think that it's like the Iraq situation now. Uh, if we if we stay, it'll be a disaster, and if we leave, it'll be a disaster. I think either <laughs> I think either way, it's a bad. It's it's there aren't good choices here. I mean, I agree. It's a crisis. I agree that it's it is a very difficult problem, and I think it was mainly a problem of the church's own creation because of decisions no, that were made I, a long time ago. I, I think decisions that, were made a long time ago. I think the general authorities inherit this problem. It, it's something they grow up in, and I don't think. I don't think, I think they, I don't know, how do you say they made the wrong decision? I think that it's coming to a head now, but I, I don't think you can argue that if they had acknowledged B.H. Roberts' issues back in the 1930s and said, okay, maybe the Book of Mormon isn't historical, I think they, I don't think you'd have a Mormon running for president today, frankly. Well, I, I want to just pipe in and uh, with it, something that may counter that, John, you know, when I joined the church 20-some years ago, the missionaries had a compelling story. And it was, it was, it was a story that got my attention. Um, but I joined the church not only because I believed what the missionaries told me, and not only because I felt a witness of, uh, of the truth of what the missionaries told me, but also because I felt loved and accepted and important in my congregation. I felt welcomed. I felt, I felt useful almost immediately. And that is, that's something that doctrine can't buy. Okay. Um, who was it, Tom Kimball, who said the church is true from the ward on down? Um, it, you, the people that you that you the people that are part of your community that's all local, okay? And we're not there. I hope to wrestle with each other about doctrinal arguments. We're, that's not why we're there. We're there to help each other grow. We're we're there to learn to love each other. That's what we're there for. And um, I think letting in a little sunlight as far as sharing with the sharing as part of the Sunday curriculum, some of the more difficult topics, if nothing else, if it's done properly, will give us the chance to learn to love each other better because we will, ha- we will be sharing information with the people that we deal with on a daily basis. With the- the people that are our community. No, I, I think that's true, Anne. I just to to take away the restoration and the authority, and saying that that's not the lifeblood that provides the oxygen for these wards to uh, to exist is just the only question I have. If if you undermine that restoration, then I think the wards fizzle. It, well, well, and and I agree with that. But I don't think you have to do anything to t- to undermine the restoration. I don't think you have to do anything to undermine authority in in, in any way. In terms of who was it, John Hamer? You were saying that Joseph was building. He had three tiers when you were talking when we were on the polygamy podcast. Mm-hmm. We have three tiers. We have 
we have the church, we have the priesthood, and we have the kingdom. Uh, well, I just, and, yeah. And, you know, the church is one thing, the priesthood is another thing, and the kingdom is another thing. And what are we working to build? Well, we're working, the, we're working to build the kingdom. And the church is a vehicle to get us there, and so is the priesthood. And, I, you know, it, our, it's just... They're means to an end. They are means to an end. They are not an end in and of themselves. The, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not the end. It's the means. And the, me- and the end is the kingdom of God on earth. All right, John, we're going to give you the last word. I don't know how to respond to all that. <laughs> so, well, I mean, I think that it, I mean, in a way, the church is an, an end to itself, and the and the ends, but there's two ends. So, the one end, on the one hand, is the institution of the church, and so the church, as an institution, needs to self-replicate and it needs to worry about how it can do that. So, it has it. It's on right now. In in my opinion, it's in a in a path towards this very 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 slow over the course of centuries controlled decline. And and John thinks that any kind of a change from that course would just make for a rapid decline. I think, as opposed to potential for any other thing, you know. But I think that uh, the options are slow decline, or you may be maybe trying something else. And then the other thing, though, in addition to the institution of the church, we have is something bigger than that, which is our culture and our heritage. And so we have all of us collectively together as Mormons, and all of us and our. Um, connections, our heritage, our history, and our experience, our culture, they're all bigger than the one institution. And so in that way, we all own something that's more than what the institution is doing or what the authorities are doing and everything like that. And so and so that's also important to that and it should be individually important to people and that's a separate thing. Sure. Well this has been a fascinating conversation. Eric uh, do you have any final words for us? We want to thank you for coming on. Any final thoughts? Well, well, thank you. Is this where we're supposed to rant? Oh, do you have a rant? Well, I don't really have a rant. I do have a shout-out, though, to one of your former uh, guests on Mormon Stories, uh, Nate Ullman. Okay. I don't know if you all saw the, uh, the print version of the Ensign uh, that has the Mountain Meadows article in it. And uh, this was a first for me. I saw a print magazine where Nate Ullman had a letter to the editor published where he was thanking them for... Uh, publishing the Mountain Meadows Massacre article and what a wonderful article it was. And his letter was actually published in the same edition that the article ran in. Yeah, because they published the article on the Internet a couple months ahead of time. Yeah, that's right. So I thought that was quite an accomplishment. Well, good. All right. Well, John and Ann, I didn't even ask you, but do uh, Ann, do you have a rant for us? I don't. Th- I don't know. No, I don't think so. Not tonight. Okay. All right. No problem. I'm just, I'm just all mellow tonight. Yeah. Oh, can I can I can I share can I share just a little happy thing? Please. Can I share a happy thing? Please. 16 to, 16 to 20 count wild caught Louisiana shrimp 6.99 a pound. Eat your hearts out. Okay. Thank you, Ann. All right. John. Well, even though I I I completely failed at being the conservative <laughs> This time, because I got, I kind of, kind of got vociferous right over on the other side. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll make my rant. Uh, I'll go back and embrace my role for my rant, which is that uh, this movie, September Dawn, was terrible, and I just really think that um, 
<laughs> ex-Mormons and anti-Mormons and ex, you know, all these people need to not embrace this movie because it does not help anything at all for you to say, oh, how can you say that? This was a great movie, blah, blah. No, it was not. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible movie and just the best thing to do is stop talking about it. Let it die. <laughs> so, <laughs> Let it die. So, so can we say rant. this is... So this is our last, our last. I'm getting, I'm getting a check to, by saying it's the last time we'll talk about it from the, <laughs> my check. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I just want to thank you all for coming on uh, Mormon Matters today. It's been a fun discussion. Thank you so much, all of you, for coming. Um, I'd like to remind our listeners to check us out at mormonmatters.org. We'd love your thoughts and feedback, um, and we'd like to just once again thank. Uh, both Corey Kilpack and Eric uh, for coming on this show. You guys uh, represented your side well, so uh, it's been a pleasure. And, of course, we can't uh, conclude without thanking both Clayton Pixton at ClaytonPixton.com and Sky Pixton for the music that they always provide. So uh, all of you, thanks so much for coming. Thanks, John. Thanks, Thanks, John. Have a great weekend. All right, and uh, we'll check you all out again soon. Take care and see you soon.